Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. What a wonderful period of singing that we have just enjoyed. I don't know how it is possible to improve upon the singing when Christian people gather together and sing from the heart. You cannot do any better than enjoying that family fellowship of singing. And I hope that you have participated. I hope that it has, as this passage says, I hope it has stirred up and filled up the spirit in your life to make you a part of a time of worship that not only will benefit you now, but can carry us even through the days of the week that is ahead. We have been, uh, we are this year, one Sunday morning a month, discussing a subject entitled Bible Authority On, with a different issue that we want to discuss. It is important for us that we understand that we are people of the book. We want to be guided by what Scripture teaches us to do and to be. And there are many things that are different uh, when you listen to people talk about various things. Uh, things are different between churches and how people do things. And we need to understand why we do what we do. And it's important not only for us to be reminded, but for new people to be informed, to understand why it is, what is the Bible authority for doing what we do. Number one, we need to understand when it comes to worship that we are guided only by the New Testament in worship. When we find out what it is that God wants us to understand and to do with respect to worship, we turn to the second part of the Bible, the New Testament era. For it is a reflection of not only what the church did, but what it was taught and what we are to be taught to do. In fact, secondly, whatever was done in the Old Testament has no impact whatsoever on what we do in the New Testament with respect to worship. None whatsoever. Yes, there were things done in the Old Testament that are not done in the New Testament era. And it doesn't make any sense for us living in New Testament times to go back and to use the Old Testament as the rule or the guide for doing what we do in New Testament worship. For instance... It makes no more sense for us to go back to the Old Testament when they had their time of the unleavened bread, the Passover feast, to which they, with which they also ate bitter herbs. When we have our time of eating the Lord's Supper and the unleavened bread, we don't want to take that part of what they did, the bitter herbs, and bring it into this time. We use unleavened bread. They used unleavened bread. But just because they added bitter herbs does not mean that we should go back and say, ah, we need to add bitter herbs 
to our time of eating the unleavened bread. It just doesn't make any sense to do that. And third, I want to caution us on this idea. Just because someone claims to have a high regard for the Word of God does not mean that we can just then overlook whatever they are doing that is not in accordance with the Word of God. For instance, if I am one who claims that the Word of God is my standard, my Word, the thing that guides me to know what to believe and to practice, if I say that is the standard and I should live up to it, just because I claim to have that high regard for Scripture does not mean that I am now free to practice something that the Scripture does not teach. I claim my high regard, but then I live the way that I want to. That doesn't make any sense either. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, there was a situation. God told King Saul, I want you to go down there and I want you to take the army and to destroy the Amalekites. And when he came back from the war, Saul saw Samuel and he said, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, wait a minute. Why do I hear all these animals? Didn't the Lord tell you to destroy them? And why do I see the king here? Didn't the Lord tell you to kill him? And he said, oh, I've kept the commandment of the Lord. However, I did bring the king back. And the people wanted these animals for sacrifices. See, Saul said, I have a high regard for the word of God. As though by his statement of high regard, Samuel now should just overlook the fact that he was in direct violation to that word that he claimed to have high regard for. So as people of God living in this time, we are people of the book. And the book that we follow for faith and practice are those books of the New Testament. For the Old Testament plays no part in our daily faith and practice. It is for us to understand God and how God feels when we do or do not do what He asks us to do. And our claim of the high regard for the Word of God should be matched by our faithful practice and keeping of that word. These lessons have been designed by those men who are shepherds of our souls to say, let's notice some very important things that we need to be reminded about. Today, Bible authority concerning instrumental music in worship. I want to leave you when this lesson is finished with three words that you can hang on to. History, consistency, and authority. I want you to hang on to those three words, for they will be the guide that will help you walk through this concept in Scripture. I want you to know 
that not one of us should be uh, mean and nasty and ugly with those who do not observe worship the same way that we do. It is not our job to be vindictive and ugly because not everyone does what we do. It is our job simply to help us understand what we do and to be able to present a, an understanding of why we do what we do that is consistent with the understanding of the Word of God. And that's all that we are calling for. Let's think about history. History is on the side of a cappella singing. The word a cappella is an interesting word. Now, if you were a fan of the Andy Griffin show, you remember the show when Andy asked Barney, Do you know what a cappella is? And he said, sure, I know what a cappella is. And he just sang that word over and over and over. He had no clue what a cappella was. Maybe you don't know. Maybe we don't know. Here's what it is. A cappella is a Latin word. It is a Latin word that grew out of the early time of worship in the Catholic Church. And the word literally means as in the chapel. Here was the point. There is singing that is done outside the chapel. There is singing done in the chapel. And when the singing is done in the chapel, it did not have the accompaniment of music. It's a cappella, as in the chapel. In fact, instrumental music was not used in any churches at all on a consistent basis until the 17, 16, 17, and 1800s. There's some discussion about when it first happened. The Catholic Pope Vitalian in 660 A.D., is credited by some as the first religious leader to put it in any particular local church. But it was not something that was observed continuously. In 1024, there was a split in the Catholic Church between the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church over some issues. And one of those issues was instrumental music. And to this day, the Greek Orthodox churches do not use instrumental music. It was something that they felt like was outside of Scripture. And therefore, the division came. I have some statements here about some people, some things that they said you have them on your outline. In case you don't have the outline, let me read them with you. In 1250 A.D., Thomas Aquinas wrote this statement. Our church does not use musical instruments as harps and psalteries to praise God with all that she might not seem to Judaize 
It was his opinion that to use instrumental music in worship was to go back to the Jewish style of worship, which was the Old Testament, not the New. Erasmus, who lived from 1466 to 1536, made this statement. We have brought into our churches a porose, that is laborious, and theatrical music. Such a confused, disorderly chattering of some words as I hardly think was ever heard in any of the Grecian or Roman theaters. The church rings with the noise of trumpets, pipes, and dulcimers. And human voices strive to bear their part with them. Men run to church as to a theater to have their ears tickled. You might not be aware, but during the struggles of what we understand to be the restoration movement in the United States, when some men independently of others decided we want to go back simply to the Word of God and get rid of all church things that aren't found in Scripture. We want to just get rid of church ornaments, church trappings, and be people of the book. These individual streams of thought came together right here in our part of the world in Kentucky. And there was this re-energizing of a going back to Scripture to preach and teach what Scripture authorizes only. And one of the issues that was discussed a number of times, of course, was instrumental music. In Midway, Kentucky, L.L. Pinkerton made this statement. So far as is known to me, I presume to you, I am the only preacher in Kentucky of our brotherhood who has publicly advocated the propriety of employing instrumental music. And that the church of God in Midway, Kentucky is the only church that has made a decided effort to introduce it. In the 1906 census record of the United States, for the first time since that restoration movement began, there was a specified division of two groups, Churches of Christ and Christian churches, because of the subject of instrumental music. Now, here is the point of all of this. Instrumental music was not used in the Lord's church when it started. It was not used in any church setting on a continuing and ongoing basis up until the Reformation movement of the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s and 
If you choose, on the right side as you walk out, there's a tract called Worship in Song. And there you can find the record of all of the leaders of the various religious movements that have produced the major churches of our day. Every one of them who said we should not use instrumental music in worship. History says instrumental music should not be employed. Number two, consistency of teaching says instrumental music should not be used. Let me ask you something. If I decide that I can add instruments to the singing of worship for whatever reason, may I also add humming and whistling? And if not, why not? What could I add to the Lord's Supper? Because I'm adding an instrument to the singing. Hamburgers? Coke? If not, why not? Or how about we add to prayers to God that we also pray to Mary? If not, why not? Again, my only statement about that is this. Whatever methodology, whatever thought process allows someone to say, I am comfortable and we all ought to use instruments in music in our worship to the Lord. Whatever process gets there. Can I not use the same process for any of these other things? And if not, why not? History is on the side of a cappella singing. Consistency of teaching is on the side of a cappella singing. But more importantly, Bible authority authorizes only a cappella singing. I want you to get your Bibles and open with me if you will. Look at Romans 14 and verse 23. The second part of that verse makes a simple statement. Whatever is not from faith is sin. The text in the chapter is discussing whether or not you can eat meat because some said you couldn't. And Paul laid down the principle, if it's not from faith, it's sin. In other words, if you can't eat meat in good faith, then it's sin to you to do it. But what is the concept of faith? Well, Romans 10 verse 17 Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How do we get faith? We get faith from the hearing 
of the Word of God. So, what is the hearing of the Word of God so that we can have faith in what we do in worship with respect to the singing? Not only the passage read already, but also Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It is not the case that the early church did not know about instruments. In fact, they were well acquainted with instrumentation in worship. In the Ephesians 5 passage already read, they were acquainted with it because in that passage, Paul said, I want you to fill up the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine like others are, but fill up the Spirit within you through singing. What were other groups doing? It was a case, in fact, that the Greek culture, cultic worship, involved the worship of the Greek god Dionysius and the Greek god Bacchus. They taught that whenever you got together in their cultic worship, they drank to the point of excess so that they would be drunken. And when they were drunken, it was proof that the god was living within them. And controlling them. That's how they got close to that God. So today, the word bacchanalia means a drunken party. They knew about instruments because at that drunken party, they played all kinds of instruments to stir up the emotions and the attitudes of people. And Paul said... Sing. They sang, didn't play. Because according to Acts 2 and verse 42, they did what the apostles taught them to do. And when these men wrote these words about instrumental music, they were following the same principle. They were doing what the apostles taught them to do. And it is our job to follow through the same way. Now think with me of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Here's another principle that I want to put before our minds. Colossians 3 verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 48, He who rejects my words has that which will judge him. The word that I speak, the same will judge him in the last day. John 14 and verse 24. If you reject my words, you reject me, for I speak what the Father tells me to speak. 
And then in chapter 16 and verse 13 of John, he told his disciples, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority. But as the Father says, he will speak. So the word that Jesus gave that resulted in them singing in their time of worship is a word that God gave to the Spirit to give to Christians as their standard of authority. Jesus said, follow my words. Only by following the word that he has left us can we truly speak in the name of the Lord Jesus. A final passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. That is, you follow what Paul, Apollos and I do. We're going to do what we're telling you. Why? That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 13. I believe, therefore I speak. The word of God on the subject of what is written is to sing praises to God. There is no authority in scripture for instrumental music doesn't exist. That is, there's not a person alive who can go into the New Testament and find that God approves of instrumental music. Can't find it. It's not there. The only Bible authority we have is to sing to the Lord. Now we're going to come back at another time and we're going to talk about singing. You see, we can get so lost and so caught up in the, the, techno, the technique, uh, the, the issue, the fundamental point of instrumental versus a cappella and forget what the Bible says about singing. And I don't want you to think that just because we don't have an instrument, therefore we happen to be right. Because if we're not singing, every one of us, from the heart, praising the Lord, then we're just as wrong too. Because we would no more find approval to sing in worship using instrumental music than we would to find approval to sit in the assembly and any one of us not sing. Or sing things that are not right or fail to worship and praise God as singing was designed to do. So we will find that opportunity later. And we'll come back and talk about singing. Today I hope that you've been encouraged in one thing. Find Bible authority 
for whatever you believe and practice. That's why we do what we do here. This is not meant in any way to say that anybody who does anything else is lost and on the way to hell. That's not my job. I don't do that. God hasn't given me the right to go out and make those judgments, and I will not. But I will stand before anyone, as you should too, to say, let us stand on the authority of Scripture. Wherever that takes us, whatever that means, the Bible is the standard of faith and practice. It's that same standard that's said to us, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We use the same pattern of authority to understand that without baptism a person is lost. Without baptism into Christ for the remission of sins, a person is outside of Jesus and is lost, soul condemned to hell. That's why we want people to know that Jesus came to take away the threat of hell and the damage of death and to give us a chance to be his children. And if today you're not a child of God and you're ready to obey, or if you're ready to come back to the Lord having strayed away, we are here for you as we stand together to sing. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.